Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers, open thing, thing. Joining me now, the man, the myth, the legend, Gus Cattengale from ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. Good morning, Gus. How are you? How are you, Scott? So, you know, we're going to talk about the team the Saints are um, hosting on Sunday. And they do have a propensity to lose games in uh, ways that you don't think are possible. But uh, sometimes you could say the same thing about the Tulane Green Wave, man. What what happened last night? Yeah, that is a uh, a topic that Andrew and I were discussing. And Andrew Legretto became the voice of the Green Wave a season ago. Came in as an outsider, Scott. <laughs> he didn't know what he was as, getting um, into with you guys. <laughs> no, you know, he was a sideline guy for the, you know, the the Hokies and you know Blacksburg and you know all that. And um, I can understand if you're not from around here, you um, you don't feel, I guess, the pain that Tulane fans have felt. Or if you're on the broadcast team like myself and Ty Graffinini for as many years, um, yeah, I'm when you're 12 on football, and um, I, I, there's one thing that I was told from, from Todd Scott when I first started, that uh, being a part of Tulane University, you will see things that you never thought you would see, and it continues to happen every single year somehow, some way to see things that you've never seen. Um, you know, we're talking about last night, but about a week ago, not even a week ago on Saturday when Tulane beat Army, I have never seen a lateral on a kickoff uh, when they're trying to do a pass on a kickoff, intercepted and it, be a lateral six or whatever it's called. I've never seen that before where Tulane kicks the ball off, Army tries to do a backwards pass to reverse the field, and that pass gets intercepted for a Tulane touchdown. I've never seen that before, so that's a good thing. Uh, and then last night, I, I, it just it, it honestly goes in the record books for me as, I don't know, heartbreaking, disheartening, mind-boggling, Yet at the same time, why we watch sports moment that I've ever seen. Um, we watch sports for things like that that make you go, I, did, did I just see that, right? I mean, and, and look, let's be honest, the two players for Tulsa that made that happen, it's one of the reasons we watch sports. You have the third-string quarterback come in and basically look like Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Um he flung the ball like he had no fear. He scrambled for touchdowns. He sparked a Tulsa team that had absolutely no energy. I mean, they were done. I mean, it, 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 it was just that zero fight. Uh, and and the backup quarterback, who, I mean, looked like he's never played quarterback before, goes down with an injury, and we're sitting here in the booth going, okay, back-to-back, you know, wins against uh, ranked opponents for the first time since 1956 or something like that. It would be 56 years. And, you know, I'm writing my story recap because it it just felt like that, right? Tulane had all the momentum. And here comes this kid, uh, Bryn, Davis Bryn, who, like I said, looks like a NFL quarterback, man, just flings it everywhere, scrambling everywhere. And Tulane, you could just – it was was a – Something we've seen this this year, uh, Houston Navy to, to to name the right off the top of my head, where you you could just feel the offense just kind of let's just get out of here sort of mentality, and um, I think it hurt. But you go up 
21-14 on a minute 38, and you think you can win, and you give up a Hail Mary with four white jerseys, which was Tulane's color last night. But the only problem is there was two blue jerseys, which was Tulsa's colors, behind those four players in about two feet of end zone behind them, which is inexplicable, out of a timeout. So that was the first, you got to be kidding. Well, like the fifth, you got to be kidding me, because, Scott, to tie the game at 14, they converted two fourth and 15s and fourth and 12s. I mean, it's like, it just seems, it's just, that's just gut wrenching, man. If you're the, if you're on the other side of it. The Collins kid that got the pick, you know, I broke it down and looked at it uh, on the replay. there's There's a reason why there's a term playmakers, Scott. And whoever gets that kid, he's just a playmaker. Um, second straight game, he's ended the game with an interception. This happens to be a pick six. The point where his head coach last night said he should be, in the, you know, should be being talked about as a Heisman. He's meant that much to that team. He's made game-winning tackles, interceptions to end the game. Um, he was coming in on a blitz, read Stephon Hutterson, the running back, that was going to block him, and he just read the quarterback's eyes. Uh, it's it's the right play call. Will Hall called it perfectly. There's nothing but end zone, and maybe a more experienced quarterback realizes that guy is not there. I need to throw it a little further, a little higher, a little more air. If he if he throws that ball two feet further back or to the right, Collins can't get that. It's an interception. I mean, it's a touchdown, like wide open. So it, it call it a learning experience, and call it Scott another moment in Tulane football history. You go, you got to be kidding me. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Um, Got to be kidding me! I think uh, when the Saints play the Niners from a physical standpoint uh, and a health standpoint, you usually say you got to be kidding me because Gus, the Saints went into that game yep. with mm-hmm. as healthy a game day roster as they've had the entire season in terms of availability. Yep. They come out of that game. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the injury report from yesterday. Um, the Saints are nine deep. Kamara's a DNP. Obviously, Breeze, a DNP, by the way, did not participate for those listening. Breeze is a DNP. Josh Hill's a DNP for the second straight day. Cam Jordan's on the report, uh, limited yesterday. Ryan Ramchek, Marshawn La- I mean, they got beat the hell up. And it wasn't just Drew Breeze. Now, naturally and obviously, he takes the focus here and – um, I think, you know, when when you get word Monday that he has a collapsed lung and multiple fractured ribs, and now the report is that it's a punctured lung, not collapsed lung, and I'm sure a doctor could explain to us in detail the difference between the two. But the reality is it, neither one is something anyone wants to have. What's telling to me, uh, Gus, is you don't put him on IR. Now, I know they could have put Michael Thomas on IR earlier this season, and they chose not to. And he ended up being out much longer than just three weeks, even before the, um, you know, let's let's uh, quote, suspend him for a game. Um, it, it was much longer than that. You know, this year, the 2020 NFL season, you go on IR, you can come off of it in three weeks, and you're not taking up a roster spot. I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to see Drew Brees in three weeks, to be honest with you, but... I mean, he's out of practice yesterday, running around, dancing, having a good time. I mean, at 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 what point? Like, if he was on IR, it wouldn't be a surprise. The fact that he's not tells me that they think best case scenario it could be sooner. Maybe we see him on Christmas against Minnesota. You know, before we get into Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, what what do you make of Drew Brees and the initial thought of, gosh, has he 
Has he played his last game? We may never see him play the Falcons again. That one's certainly out there. To now, you know what? He's, he's probably going to come back at some point this season. I think we're going to see him. Like, it just feels like from the beginning, from Monday to today, the temperature of the Saints fan base has shifted a little bit. It feels a lot more positive about Breeze today than it did on Monday. What I learned is I need to have his kids be my doctors, apparently, right? I did love that. <laughs> that's a great Instagram. The week of his kids. It was awesome. Um, you know, that's his medical team. And and you know what, Scott? It, there's something to be said about that, man. Uh, you know, finding peace, love, and, and, and comfort in your family. And, man, it was awesome to see. And here's the other aspect of it. The guy's just – he's tough, man. I mean, he – I don't know how you finished the first half when you hear other people talk about how much pain he was in. You can see the body language, people going back and looking at it um, from a video-wise and just kind of seeing what he was dealing with. But, you know, Scott, I think the other thing that's just interesting to me more than anything is what you were talking about, the, the IR aspect of it. Um, I can't explain it. I, I have no idea why, why it is that when they face – San Francisco, this team just uh, they get beat up because it happened last year. I want to say last year was the same thing where, um, except though, didn't they have a Thursday night game, I think, right afterwards? And it hurt them in that aspect of it because they, they played San Francisco and then had, uh, I want to say, a divisional Thursday night game. Might have been the Falcons, man. I, I don't remember. But it, it was something around that nature where I remember. Yeah, it was. It, I think it was. I think you're right. Yeah. I think it was the Falcons. Um, maybe it was uh, the Shy Tuttle game. At Atlanta? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, the it was, Thursday, yeah. Thanksgiving I mean, it was night. one of those games. But, um, man, what, what really stinks is you know, obviously you don't want to have Breeze not be in a game and lose him. But I think the other aspect of it you brought up with Josh Hill and Traquan Smith, I think what really stood out to me was Sean Payton bringing that up after the um, the game that it affected their run game. Now, in-game substitutions, in-game adjustments, those are different. They're harder to make on the fly. I know we sort of look at it, I guess, maybe – erroneously as fans or media, like a game of Madden, you know, guys go out and just call the play and just adjust. Well, if you, there's reasons, probably certain players are in certain packages and, and, and then there's snaps, right? Which is why I was so just shaking my head yesterday. When you think the first thing quarterback did what he did, because they, they don't normally get the snaps. You know that Scott, I mean, they, you know, coach Nathan probably has a certain amount of players that get certain looks and snaps and, the kids that don't, it, it's harder for them to come in. Not that they can't, but it's harder. So when you lose Josh Hill and Traquan Smith, as Sean Payton said to the common fan, they're still focused on Drew Brees not being there. They're still focused on some of the other aspects of it. But he brought up after the game, and goes, that was our run game. Those two guys specifically do a ton in the blocking scheme and how we call certain plays to that side or where they are. And when they're gone, that puts a huge wrinkle in how the Saints run the football. That explains, Scott, one of the reasons why I'm sitting there going, why is Taysom Hill in the fourth quarter running the football? Hand it off to Murray. Hand it off to Kamara. Now, I still feel that way. I think you can overcomplicate things. I mean, I get Josh Hill and Traquan Smith are out. I still want to give the, the, the football to my running backs, who are paid to be running backs, to run the game out if I choose to go that route, especially if my quarterback is injured, and my backup now is my primary running back. I still don't understand what Sean Payton did at the end of that fourth quarter there. It made no sense to me. He lining up Winston all the way to the right and 
you know, you're running Taysom. I, I, you're telling everybody you're running. You're not going to throw to Winston. This guy literally just got in the game. So I didn't understand what was going on there, but it just it threw everybody off, man. And I think what it was was to just let's just get out of there and, and end the game with sort of that mentality. I thought Sean Payton was, was actually going with there. But, you know, look, with Breeze, I, I, I'd be happy if he gets to, to Kansas City. I mean, I – I look at the three-game road trip, one's indoors, obviously, in Atlanta. But this four-game stretch is a four-game stretch, I think, Peter Saints, you got to get, right? You got to go three and one here, Scott. You're struggling again. You're facing two teams that are struggling offensively in Philadelphia and Denver. There's unrest in Philly. And you know the Falcons. You know the Falcons. And here's the thing that's interesting. Jameis knows the Falcons. Raheem Morris knows you know, the Saints. He used to be the head coach of the Buccaneers. Sean Payton probably knows where he more his tendencies too because they coached against one another. So it's an interesting two out of the four games. So I think Drew Brees, if he, if you, like you're telling me, the guy's acting yesterday like nothing's wrong with him. Um, he apparently played a game last week with three broken ribs or three cracked ribs that they missed. So I think the guy's tougher than a lot of people um, probably knew and already he was tough. So it was pretty incredible to me, man, how he happens to just keep ticking, man. And Scott, there's something to be said from this aspect of it, too. He's got to know, right? He's got to know that this is it. So I think we all see it's it. I think we all believe it's it. So I think with him knowing that it's it, he's going to do whatever he can, man, to get in. ESPN1420.com. Gus Catgill, our guest, uh, is the great Scott show. So uh, whenever they get Breeze back, we're not sure, but uh, there was some thought earlier this week that he might have played his last snap, and that's not the thought anymore. Uh, it, 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 in a, a way, slightly overshadows one of the, I think, best rivalries in all of sports. I think certainly the most underrated rivalry in sports. I mean, the Saints and Falcons have played uh, 102 times since 1967, Falcons lead the series 53-49, to 49, but the Saints got off. Even though they won the first matchup, they got off to a pretty rocky start through the 70s, but uh, the Saints have actually won more against the Falcons uh, the last three decades than they did in the 70s and 80s. So they, um, they're they going at it Sunday. Atlanta's a – look, I, I love to to make fun of them. I think we, we find great joy in, uh, in them just losing games in, in creative ways. But they've won, I mean, three of their last four. And the game they lost, they just they falconed it up. I mean, it was it was Todd Gurley scoring a touchdown when he didn't need to, uh, and they lost by a point. But outside of that, you know, they would they would have come into this thing winners of four in a row. Um, granted, it's you know been against Denver and and Carolina, but they've been a little different under Raheem Morris in that they're actually for the most part, with the exception of Gurley's gaffe, they've been finishing games you know you fire the GM you fire Dan Quinn after the 0-5 start but they've got talent offensively and uh, I'm looking at the Saints defense under a microscope this week Gus and I know that everyone else is going to be looking at Jameis under a microscope and I get it but the Saints defense is going to have to come out and play the way they did against San Francisco the difference is San Francisco's offense with Nick Mullins and no George Kittle and missing a Debo Samuel and others—they they, just—they're—they're they're not very—they're not very good right now. Atlanta, as much as I can't stand them, you're looking at a lot of talent on that side of the football. So, D 
Do you get after Matt Ryan? He ain't mobile. You know, can can Marshawn, who loves to play up to the competition, get it done against Tulio Jones? If the Saints get that win against the team that blew a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl this Sunday, I think ultimately it's going to come more down to their defense than it will Jameis Winston. That's how that's that's truly what I think is going to unfold on Sunday. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Gus Cattengale. Gus, are you still there or uh we got you we got disconnected there? There you go. I'm gonna unmute it since uh I'm, I know, I know. Yeah, I um, got you. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to make sure you don't hear Daddy, I gotta go poo poo. Yeah. That way, real quick, that, let me jump in. That yeah. happened to me. Um Jeez, Tuesday, I think. I was doing a radio hit with some uh, with a station in Georgia. And uh, my second one in, uh, my my number two of my three childs had to go number two, and she came in and said it very loudly, and uh, they laughed. They yeah. were cool, you know. But hey, you got it when you multitasking as a dad, man. I get it. It's all good. Sorry, go ahead. Hey, hey, now got to make sure he gets ready so he can get to school. Um, <laughs> so I, I think one of the things that you know you bring up that is interesting is look, I I think one of the things that that you I'm not saying that this team because I think they're a very veteran team. They're very uh, well-led team. You have multiple leaders. I, I thought one of the themes that came out last week after the game that I thought was on purpose was how I heard the Saints players talk about their belief in Jameis. I, I thought Alvin Kamara set the tone. He was the first player after the game. And, Scott, if you remember, he, he almost had fun with reporters when they asked him, what was it like for James to call a play? And he goes, well, this is yeah. what happened. You messed with my boy, Sean Luke Johnson. The play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sean called the play. James called it. We ran it. <laughs> I, like, I love that, though, because you know what they did? Is what they, what they said, and then they brought it up. Every player brought it up. You know, Mark Quest Callaway, one of the youngest of the players, he's sitting there saying, look, I, he looked like he knew what he was doing. So, um, they brought up, they practice, that he practices just like everyone else. He's in the room with Drew. He does everything with Drew. He practices just like they do, so they're fine. I, I think that was purpose, right? I mean, they, they were trying to convey whether it's to themselves, to the rest of the team, or to us, or maybe they really believe that. You know, why can't he do it? And, and look, Scott, you, you look at it from this perspective. Um, he's been a starter. He's won a national championship, and I know he had issues like that, and you know, with the interceptions, but it's different teams, how people use them, your situations, things of that nature. We see it in baseball, basketball, football sometimes. Um, you need to change a venue in areas like that. But to your point with the Falcons is this, and, and what I was trying to make is I don't think you need motivation, right? This team came in last year terrible, uh, badly injured, not playing good football, and you come off a bye and you lay an egg Big and time. you lost. And it cost and, you the one seed, and and ultimately it, you it, lost in exactly you know right. in the wild card round. So, yeah, everyone's bringing up the Forty Nine er game. I'm like, that game didn't cost you. That that was we. It was. It felt like a season before where it was the Ram game. If you remember the Ram game during the regular season, I remember. I think we all thought at the end of that game. Boy, did that feel like the preview of the NFC Championship game. And I think that's what we all felt. We, we saw at San Francisco, and I thought the Saints were the two best teams last year, and that's really what 
wind up, you know, being that way. But yeah, it was the, it was the Falcon game that cost you the one seed. It wasn't Stan Fran. It was the Falcon game. That's the game that you had to have and win. Which is sort of how I felt this past week. That you you can't lose that game. Um, but you got beat up doing it in the meantime. But look, Atlanta's Atlanta, and Malcolm Jenkins. I thought said it best Wednesday. You, you throw out the records, man. It, it, it doesn't matter. The, the Saints could be having a three and something year, or the Falcons could be having a two and something year. It does not matter when these two teams play. Raheem Morris, for crying out loud, this week verbalized it. He said they don't like us. We don't like them. It's a rivalry. So. I mean, look, they're sitting there knowing that their season hasn't gone the way it is. And you know what else they're sitting there as well? They're not that far out of the seventh spot when you look at it. If they continue to win and put a couple of games together and string along some games, um, look, I know you've got six to seven games left, but, Scott, you win four or five of those. What's to say that you don't, you know, get your way in and sneak your way into the seventh seed? I think it's one of those things. That at least that's what they're probably talking about in the locker room. Where Ian Morris is trying to prove that I need another shot at um, becoming a head coach. Uh, there's a lot of players there are saying you know the same thing, uh, whether it's contracts and, and look, Matt Ryan is not that much younger than Drew Brees and everybody else too. So I, I think they have a ton to play for on signs of fact that you have a ton to play for. And let's be honest, if the roles are reversed. We'd be saying this. We'd love nothing more than to ruin the Falcon season, right? And throw a really big wrench in it. So there's the the rivalry aspect of it. There's legitimately, I think, the Falcons trying to climb back into this thing and be that last spot. And quite honestly, you're a beat-up football team at the same. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not comfortable, you know, going into this game on Sunday. I almost have that same mentality of, I know it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a fight. And you just you just want to get back on that plane on Sunday afternoon, early Sunday evening, and and almost just get on the plane, sit in the seat and go, I don't know how we did that, but I'm glad we won. I, I almost feel that way. And they, they can score, and when they want to play well, they can play well. Their defense is not good, but that offense has weapons. So let's see. Yeah, they um... – they, or get back in their car. I know they're uh, they're at home this week, but you know ab- ab- about the road. They're going on the road for three straight weeks. After you're going to be away from New Orleans for a month straight in terms of your road ge- in terms of road games. So I think everyone says, well, Jameis and manageable schedule and all that. You you look last year you managed it well, and I think for Jameis it's really just about being judicious with the football. And if he does that, I think the Saints can can get this thing done here in the next couple of weeks until Breeze gets back. Uh, last year, I looked it up. So they played Indy after the loss to San Fran, but um, and and they beat the hell out of the Colts on Monday night, and uh, and then you know finished the regular season strong. But uh, that loss to to the Falcons last year, I mean, twenty six to nine, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't even close, Gus. They just played horrendous. So I think they are um, probably much more locked in this week. The focus is there, and they're so short handed. Uh, final thing before I ask you a couple of Pell's question with free agency starting today at uh, at 5 p.m. What uh, what's your prediction for this Sunday's game? Give us uh, give us you know maybe a final score prediction and someone you think is going to stand out in a good way. I think one of the things that'll be interesting for me to see is um, the opportunity that Jameis has here, and I think 
I'm probably more comfortable than I ever have been, even to the extent of Teddy. Now, Kamara is a big issue. If he was healthy and ready to go, I'd feel better. Um, but this offense that you would want a quarterback to be, I guess, careful of and run, is the offense that you're in question. It's not a very high-risk offense. It is very low-risk. It is short-passing. That's right. It can fall out quickly. So you're basically asking Jameis Winston to run what Drew's done. So I think you can almost expand on this guy um, and use some of the abilities that Jameis now brings to the table, which is mobility. Um, I'm thinking of plays like with the Packers ran against the Saints earlier this year where you have a handoff, fake it starting left, rolling back right, have Jerry Cook rolling with you a couple yards down the field. It's either toss or run. Um, you know, we can scramble or throw it out on a crossing route. Just little passes like that. I mean, Aaron Rodgers carved up the Saints' D, short passing plays, but using misdirection and using his mobility just enough to get out. You can use extended handoffs um, to climb Jameis out of the pocket if you're still concerned with how Caesar Reeves is blocking or um, how maybe they're pass protecting for him. Um, give the ball to some of your, your, your playmakers that you do have. So the fact that he's had all week, I'm thinking Jameis can get a little bit better timing with some of these receivers. And again, I brought it up a little bit ago. Teddy didn't play in a couple of years. He was just trying to get you know back into the swing of things. Jameis started last year. He hadn't played this year, but he started five years. And, you know, we can look at whether he did good or bad. But the fact is the guy was a five-year starter. Um, he won the national championship. So, not terrible. I think he needed to be coached better, and I think he needed to mature. But he has ability, so he can throw the ball deeper than Drew has. He can roll and use the mobility. And quite honestly, again, I keep going to how the team reacted to him. It wasn't just this Sunday. I go back to training camp where they had several players come out and say, man, he just he gets us cracking up in the huddle. He um, is just always such a great What, what did Jerry Cook so call energy. him? He was like Jerry Cook the other day was asked, there was between him and, and Teddy Bridgewater. He's like, Teddy's low-key, very cool, calm um, you know, just a Florida guy that that just is real chill, and then he goes, "Jameis, Jameis is a wild boy." That's what that's that's end. I quote, "Jameis is a wild boy." So, uh, definitely different in the huddle than Teddy was mm-hmm. last year for sure. But it, and, and the reason I bring that up, Scott, because I think, and I'm, I'm sure whether it's Coach Napier you talk to, Coach Fritz, Coach Payton, off, you know, uh, it, coaches will tell you the hardest thing for a quarterback to do is to win the locker room. Um, it's why I think Joe Burr had success. Right now, remember, I love how it came out afterwards that you know he had to get in the, uh, the fighting, but he stood up and, and battled back. But he won the locker room. And once you get guys to have confidence in you, they'll go out there and just make make the plays and don't worry about themselves. Scott, you played sports, whether it's you know recreationally or you've covered it enough. But when a player doesn't have confidence in somebody that makes decisions, whether it's a coach whether it's a quarterback, a point guard, uh, you know, a manager in baseball, or you fear that you don't know that this guy is going to make the right call, then they start to try to overcompensate. And, and that's when you get in trouble, when players worry, man, is this, you know, is this ball going to be what it's supposed to be? Um, if, if Saints receivers just do what they've been coached to do, run to a spot, run around, and then it's on Jameis to deliver, 
I think this team can win. I still think they're the better football team. Um, the injuries concern me. I still think this team finds a way, dude. I'm going to go something like 27, 24. Yeah, I got um, Saints 30 to 27. Like that. Yep. Yeah, I'll think of something. Like that. Look, the Saints defense. They're not the 85 Bears. I do think they've gotten better. And I think it's something that we say with what Jenkins said is that um, everyone's starting to find their role. You, Chauncey's playing really well. Um, Juan Alexander, is a, that's, you know, that's, a, that's an upgrade. I mean, you saw Juan the Alexander's impact he had on A game Sunday. like this yeah. could really bring you know, a little bit more to it. So I, I still think, Scott, the Falcons are the Falcons, right? The Falcons are the Falcons. So I think if Jameis can get some confidence early on, man, I think the Saints offense can score because I think he can do a little bit more than what Drew was doing in terms of just athletic ability. Gus Cattengill, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent. All right, I I um I, I have a, a, a Pelicans question for you before we go, but um, I think we have a listener on the line that wants to ask you a question. You good? Yes. <clears throat> Welcome yeah. in to uh, go. Go ahead and ask your question to Gus. Hey guys, more of a comment than anything. Um, just read it yesterday. Jameis, his record against the Falcons is yeah, I mean it's right three and four, but. In the seven games against the Falcons, he is uh, he's thrown 20 touchdowns, five interceptions. He's averaging about 300 yards a game. Uh, he's carried the ball 25 times for over 100, time, 100 yards. He's got a couple of touchdowns thrown in there. Um, statistically, like I said, he's only three and four. But statistically, you know what? If Jameis wins over seven, over seven games, you prorate that over a, four, a 16-game season, 20 touchdowns and five interceptions over seven games. Guys, I think if you know if we're lucky enough to have that next year, I got no problem with number five being behind seven. Appreciate the call, especially this weekend. Number two, right, <laughs> number two, and and now the number two gets brought back into the conversation. I'm acting like a kid this morning. You know, he just he's reading off some of Jameis's um, career stats against Atlanta there, despite the record being three and four. You know, twenty touchdowns, five picks. So. Um, he's had some success against them. It's it's the next month is, I mean, you can't really put into words how important it is for Jameis Winston, Gus, in terms of his career, whether that future be with the Saints or somewhere else. But he has a chance to either earn himself, you know, $70, $80 million the next couple of weeks or, or earn himself probably just a backup role for the rest of his career. That's how important it is for him. Uh, and, and it's just as important for the Saints in terms of what their goals are this year. So, Appreciate the caller pointing that out. All right, Gus, last thing here before we let you go. Free agency in the NBA uh, starts at, uh, I think, 5 tonight. Last year, the Pels started free agency right out the gate. You saw the um, the J.J. Redick signing. Um, what, do you, what do you think the, the Pels are doing in free agency, aside from giving Brandon Ingram the max, which we're expecting? What kind of moves? I mean, I feel like it's going to be a busy weekend for the Pels, is it not? Yeah, well, take what David Griffin and Trajan Langdon said to add to basically, I'm sure you did what I did and speak with anybody and everybody that covers the Pelicans before the draft to find out what was going on. And what I found out was other than Trajan Langdon and David Griffin, no one knows what they're doing. (laughs) But we all agree that they're going to be doing a lot of different things. So um, when David Griffin comes out after the draft with Trajan Langdon and says, we are not done. Uh, Griffin, I think, used literally the phrase, there's there's a bunch of balls in the air, uh, and there's still moves to be made. I I think you can see that there may be some trades. I think the first thing that pops in my head is um, Eric Bledsoe and George Hill. Are you keeping one? Are you keeping both? Are you keeping none? 
So you look at those contracts, you look at what they can provide and what they can bring, maybe perhaps to other teams. Are you parlaying that to other players? Are you doing that? I don't, I don't know if you want more picks, but, you know, it could be something where other teams may, may want a player like them. Um, with some of the moves that you made already on draft night, what else are you sort of looking for um, in terms of veteran You know, here's another player that I, I almost feel like we thought, Scott, we assume would be back this year, and now I just, I don't. Derek Favors is another one, right? Are you bringing Favors back, and and does he fit in that sort of style and system that Stan Van Gundy wants to bring? I mean, if you have a young roster with young players, what kind of style do you want to play, though? Is it some pace with some pick and rolls and things of that nature? So do I need more ball handlers? I definitely think I need shooters. Yep. Um, and look, and I got in this debate yesterday with someone, and I don't think it's going to end. I know Stan Van Gundy, and everyone was telling us about, hey, Kyra Lewis with Lonzo, and you need as many guards as possible. And I'm like, that's great. But one of those guards you're talking about has struggled shooting, struggle handling the basketball, turns the ball over, can't make free throws. I'm still waiting for that elite defense. That's Lonzo Ball. So what kind of money, you know, not that you have to do a contract with him, but that's fucking. He didn't. He didn't change agencies. I believe he went with Clutch, right? So I, I don't think you do that if you're if you're not looking for something. Is he a piece that you move? I, I don't know. I, I, I keep telling people. I'll get back to you on Monday because I, I from what I gather, there are going to be trades. There are going to be some moves. There'll be a signing of you now. Are they going to be the big splashy ones? I think you look around the league. There really aren't that many. Gordon Hayward opting out yesterday might be one of the bigger names that a lot of people know. That's just because he opted out with the Celtics. But it's not a deep free agency class. It's why you got the hole you did for Drew Holiday, or there was so much talk about him, because you just don't have, quote-unquote, superstars coming out of free agency. But that's fine. And I don't think that's where the Pelicans are anyway, Scott. So I think you look for some play. I, I would probably look for a player or two that brings leadership, veteran-style, sort of like um, what J.J. Reddick brings. A shooter, but I also think somebody that can be some sort of rim protector. It's something that I look at this team and do not have, Scotty. Whether even if you bring in Derek Favors, who, who can at least rebound for you and things of that nature. But um, man, I'm thinking, bam, right? That buy you from from the Heat. I I'd like to see this team go out and find somebody that maybe can still want to make a name for themselves. Almost what Sean Payton's been able to do and try to find at the receiver position, right, Scott, where maybe they slip through the cracks a bit, they're sitting on somebody's bench, but pure athleticism uh, is something that they can use. This team doesn't have somebody that, you know, you could, you're concerned about as a shot blocker. When you look at the Lakers winning the title last year, when they had to and buckle down, your shot was going to get blocked by either Anthony Davis or LeBron James, right? I mean, it just, it just was. So you need to have size if you want to beat them, and, and, and somebody can block shots. You saw that, you know, help. And it hurt the Heat. It hurt a couple, you know, it hurt the Nuggets. If you don't have size, and they do, and they can block shots, you're in trouble. It, it may not be the whole game, but it, it's at the time where you need to win the game in the final three in the fourth quarter. So I'd like to see this team go and try to find a shooter or two. But more importantly, I think it's something no one's really thinking about and focusing. I think a rim protector, somebody that can legitimately clean the glass, or more importantly, send the ball into the empty seats if we have any fans or not, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of 
I'll admit it. I mean, I'm I'm focused so much on the offense with Stan Van and okay, you're, if you sign a, a a center, you want someone that can stretch it. Do you make a move for you know like an Aaron Baines or something? You know, but someone that right. has the outside. But I I'm I'm not even thinking that much about the defensive side of things. And yet when they when they you know hired Van Gunny, that was such a big part of uh, what he talked about and what a lot of folks within the program said uh, within the franchise, like, yeah, hey, you got to improve on that side of the ball and have some moves. It's going to be very interesting. There's going to be trades. Uh, didn't really get to talk much about Kyra Lewis, but uh, we could save that for another day. We need to let you run, yeah. man. I appreciate you joining me, uh, joining me. I know it's been a, a very busy week for you and you got a busy Friday in front of you, but Thanks for the time as always, man. If I don't talk to you before next Thursday, have a great Thanksgiving. I know you'll have some special plans afterwards as well. So hang in there, my man, and uh, we'll talk again soon, all right? Nah, man, always a pleasure, man. Look forward to chatting with you. And i tell you this, Kyrie excites me, especially after talking to a lot of people and um, speaking to somebody today that did a, a big special on him for the athletic and Jared Weiss, if you want to reach out to him next week, man. Um, yeah, I think, I think Pell's fans might like what, what he may be able to bring. All right. I look forward to that, and I will reach out to Jared as well. Appreciate it, dude. We'll talk soon. Sure. There you go. That is Gus Cattengale, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Great stuff from him, as always. Up next hour, right out the gate, just after 8 o'clock, Louisiana Raging Cajun Director of Athletics, Dr. Brian Maggard, will be joining me.